Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I am pleased to bring to you the twelfth and final chapter of the book of Daniel. The angel who has been talking around all the way from chapter 10 continues with his revelation, but his viewpoint now shifts to the heavens, to the supernatural side of the history that will occur in the age leading, leading up to and extending into the messianic days. Ad ha'etahi, uva'etahi, yimmalet amcha, kol animtsa katuv basefer. At that time, Michael, the great officer, clearly this angelic proxy who proxies for the nation of Israel, which is interesting because there's also this idea, uh, back even into the Torah's time, and the Ramban talks about this, Nachmanides talks about this, that um, Israel has no proxy. All the other nations are given proxies, but Israel has no proxy. At least according to this, there is a certain amount of proxy going on with this archangel, um, uh, um, uh, Michael. In any event, he will stand up for, or perhaps stand in attendance before, the people of your nation, and it will be a time of trouble, the like of which was not known from the days you became a nation until that time, Etahi, which apparently means the time of troubles which were just related um, in the previous apocalypse by this angel. Um, it's also known as the time of wrath, since it was a great deal of troubles and God was angry at his people. Continue on with, continuing on with the verse, and at that time your nation will escape um, anyone who is written in the book. The book, I think, refers back to the first apocalypse, back in chapter 7, where following the emergence of the fourth beast, the aged one, the Atik Yomin, who was a representative of God, or represented God, uh, appeared with an open book, um, and in front of him were tens of thousands, including the four beasts that stood before him in judgment. So apparently anyone um, who passed muster, so to speak, anyone who was righteous, was written in the book, and those people who were written in the book would survive this terrible time. Clearly, the implication is not everyone would. V'rabim mishene admat afar yakitsu eila lechaye olam, and many of those who are sleeping in the ground and the dirt would awaken. These or those to an, to an eternal life and others would be for everlasting scorn and abhorrence. This is the only verse in the entire Tanakh which talks unambiguously about the fact that there will be resurrection from the dead in Messianic times. All other mentions, including Ezekiel's dry bones, all of them can be seen as metaphors and figures of speech. This passage, then, either says one of two things. Either it says that those who are written, well, the one thing it says for sure is that those who are written in the book will be resurrected for an eternal life. The question is, what about the others? So either it means that the others will continue lying in their graves, that is, they're the ones who will not be resurrected, and as such will be objects of derision and uh, abhorrence, or that the latter will also, the latter type of people will also be brought back from death, but for an exceedingly terrible consequence, for pain and suffering. I prefer, prefer the former interpretation, as 
the latter interpretation seems cruel. It just seems cruel to raise one from the grave for everlasting punishment and suffering. I don't think that's what the verse is saying, and I don't think that's a very Jewish idea in general. Rather, the ones who merit it will come for that eternal life, and the ones who don't merit it simply will not rise to enjoy the fruits of messianic times. And the teachers, or the ones who have understanding, will shine like the shining objects in the skies, and those who guide the populace to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. I guess they shine even brighter. These maskilim, I think, were are the same. Not just general wise people, but they're the, the same as the people who were mentioned in the last chapter. If you remember, they were the ones who taught others and and uh, led others in the way of um, of sticking to God in the face of, and in fact in sedition of, the growing apostasy, which was some supported and fomented, fomented by that uh, northern king. It's not clear here, however, if if this is a continuation of the idea of the previous verse, that is, resurrection, and how these maskilim will come back after the resurrection and benefit and shine very brightly, or if we are going back in time to the actual days of wrath to say that these people will shine despite those troubled times uh, of wrath. Vata Daniel, Sitom Hadivarim, Vachatom, Asefer, Ad Eight Kates, and you, Daniel, close up these words and seal them in the book until the end of time, when many will search around, meaning they'll search for wisdom, they'll search for meaning, they'll search for answers from God, the word of God, and the knowledge will become prevalent, or knowledge in general will become prevalent. Which means, I think, that is... What he's telling Daniel is to wait for the book, which has all of this apocalypse, all of these messages, to become relevant in the end of time when people will come asking and then the book will help them to understand. That is, if you reveal it too early, then there's no benefit whatsoever because they're not in those times, so they're not looking for any of these answers. As Ibn Ezra points out, this is very closely connected to the idea in chapter 8 of Amos, with its famous passage, Lo ra'av lalechem velo tzam alamayim ki'im l'shmoa et divrei Hashem. There will not be a famine for bread, nor thirst for water, but for the fact that people are looking to hear the word of God, which will not be there. But here, the people wander around searching for the word of God, and they will find it. How will they find it? That is, Daniel will, is commanded to, he's given a commission to write this book, which will be open for those searchers when they start to make that search. And I, Daniel, saw and behold, two others, apparently angels as well, standing, one on one bank of the river and the other on the other bank of the river. Remember, Daniel himself is standing by the Hidekel, by the Hidekel, by the Tigris River. He did have people with him, but when the angel Gabriel, or whoever this linen-clothed angel was, the first angel, the, the rest of them, the rest of his companions ran away. And he, apparently one of these angels, or perhaps together is a single kind of an angelic chorus, said to the man dressed in linen, who was the angel, of course, telling Daniel all the apocalypse. As I said, it may be Gabriel, although he's never so identified. Who is, sta- who is standing above the waters of the river? 
quote, until when will this wondrous thing come to an end? So either Gabriel, first of all, just talking about Gabriel and why it says that he's standing above the water, either he's actually hovering above the water, sort of supernaturally, or he's standing upstream. I like the more miraculous of the two. I think it's a bit more fitting for the Gabriel-type character. Now, let's talk about this wondrous thing. I do not think that it refers to the whole apocalypse, although some commentators do. But I think it refers specifically to the devastation of that the northern king brings, the devastation of the temple, the setting up the, uh, the, uh, the desolating, um, uh, terrible idol. In fact, it says specifically in chapter 11, Va'al el elim yidaber niflaot, he will speak haughtily or too wondrously against the gods. So the word um, niflaot, which usually has kind of a positive meaning in Tanakh, here in Daniel very often has a negative meaning in Tanakh, and certainly I think in this context. Now, why do these angels ask this question? That is, and, and why are there specifically two? That is, what's the whole scene? So... I would like to say that the reason why there may be two is because oaths, that is when you take an oath to God, which will, we will see that this apocalypse telling angel, that is the primary angel, this angel may be Gabriel, um, is going to make, and therefore it requires two witnesses. And why do they need to ask this question? It's kind of a setup, because the heavens, so to speak, want to transmit God's commitment regarding the duration of this intolerable situation of this northern king's destruction of the of the temple or his defiling of the temple, um, that it simply won't last too long of a time. The next verse, verse 7, is Daniel speaking. And I heard, that is, I, Daniel, heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river and he raised up his right hand and his left hand to the heavens and swore to the one who lives forever that it will be one season and seasons and a half. Moed, Moadim, Vachetzi. As the hammer ceases to smash the hand of the holy nation, all this, kol ele, will be completed. The season, and seasons and seasons and a half, seems identical to um, what was said in an earlier chapter, idan v'idanin uplag idan, that is a time, a time, and a half a time, seemingly, which means three and a half years of duration, which is how long this uh, defiling of the temple would last. What's less clear, apparently, is what the angel means by the end of the sentence, all of this, kol ele, will be complete. So I think Daniel understands how long the abomination will be. What he doesn't understand is how long the entire, that is, when the messianic age will come. Vani shamati v'loavin, va'omara adunai ma'acharit ele. I heard this, but I did not comprehend. So I said, my master, what is this end of kol ele? I, again, I think what Danielle is saying is, I get the idea of the three and a half years, but I don't get the idea of how it connects to the final redemption. Does it come right afterwards? Does it not come right afterwards? Um, and this is, of course, assuming that the year and year and half a year, or season, season and half, a, seasons and half a season, is actually a straight number. 
um, it may actually be a code. But we've also seen different numbers floating around, like 2,300 evenings and mornings. That was in Chapter 8. So I think Danielle simply doesn't know how to put it all together, not just the abomination part, but the whole idea of the end of days coming. Vayomer lech Daniel, kisetumim v'chatumim advarim ad eight kates. But he, the hovering angel, said, go Daniel, because these things are closed off and sealed until the end of time, which is, of course, a very polite rejection. <laughs> He's telling Daniel that he won't tell him. But the angel does say the following, Yitbararu v'yitlabinu v'yitzarafu rabim v'yirshiru rishaim v'lo yavinu kol rishaim the populace will be selected, meaning only a select portion of them will make it through these troubled times, probably, and they will be cleansed and purified, and the wicked will be vilified, that is, they will be demonstrably shown to be wrong, and they won't understand, which means they won't understand what's happening to them, or they won't even understand why they're wrong when it becomes clear to everybody. But the maskilim, which again is either a generic wise people, or I think specifically those who will lead and teach the word of God in the face of adversity and, and apostasy, they will understand. Rashi says all of this purification language, it refers to the understanding of the vision. That is, some people will attempt wicked or misguided attempts to calculate the end. And I guess Rashi is warning his students off of that, compared to the wise who will understand when the end is to come. But I think that this language of uh, of washing or whitening and 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 selecting and purifying recalls the language regarding the maskilim in the previous chapter. If you remember, during their process of leading the sedition, many of them were wiped out, many of them were purified and selected out. And I think what God is trying to say is that, to be honest, or what the angel is saying, what God is saying through the angel, is that really during these troubled times, a very select few will survive the oppression of the northern king. And it's the same in many eschatological visions and prophecies, where there is a cleansing period in the days that precede the end. In Isaiah, he has an idea of only the 10% will survive, and then only a tenth of that, and whoever's left over, they will deserve to see the redemption. Umeit husar atamid shikut shomem yamim elef And from the time the daily offering it was canceled and replaced by the desolating abomination, which is this disgusting statue that was put up in the temple, it will be 1,290 days. Now, assuming yamim means days and not years or longer, as it often does, that would point to, perhaps, and if it does mean years, that would point to an exile after the temple is restored, which is what Rashi uh, uh, argues, and many later commentaries argue. Um, but how this number, 1,290, connects with the earlier number of 2,300 evenings and mornings uh, from chapter 8 is not clear. Ashrei hamachakeh v'yagiyah liyamim elef shloshmeot shloshim v'chamisha, blesses the one who waits, he will make it to day number one hundred and. One one thousand three hundred thirty-five, uh, and according to Rashi, since Yom is a year, that means that since it's forty-five larger than the number from the previous verse, that means from the first appearance of the Mashiach till he disappears and returns again will be forty-five years. Once again, Daniel is told that he will not see any of this in his lifetime, but he will see it when the Mashiach comes. Ve'ata lech lakets v'tanuach. And you go and rest, meaning go to your death, go to the grave until the end. And then you will stand up for your lot, meaning you will be resurrected 
and you will get what you deserve at the very end of these days.